If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Interstellar Space Genesis, Age of Wonders Planetfall, Northgard, and much, much more. Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm back to my usual recording dungeon. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the it's my house has a concrete basement. It's a newer house. So I have not gotten around to finishing yet. So it's kind of like my dungeon, my lair where I get, you know, to record stuff. So when I do eventually finish it, I'm going to do some soundproofing, build myself like a little recording booth type thing. But for now, you know, it's all good. You. Oh, man. Well, you sound a thousand percent better. And I personally am glad. So uh, welcome back home. Hope you enjoyed your vacation. Uh, I just got back from one myself, you know, just uh, celebrating Independence Day with the family. Nice. So yeah, we're gonna a, be had a really good weekend. Doing... Uh, got a bunch mm-hmm. of sunburns, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a vacation. That's how you know you're on vacation when you get burned by the sun. Either that or you're doing some kind of landscaping at home. Yeah, for sure. So yes. Yeah, so anyways, I'm back. Um, I think we should just th- this week was a light news week. I think a lot of people are on vacation. I know Paradox is on vacation and. You know, Stardock is on vacation, and Fraxis has been radio silent for a while, so Amplitude 2 of late. So let's, I think we should just jump right into it. What do you say? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so this week, we are beginning with your favorite title, Interstellar Space Genesis. I got to tell you, man, before you go any further, when I saw that name on the list this week, like I wasn't looking real carefully, I thought, oh, this must be a new game. That Nate's talking about, and now you just reminded me this has been in development for a while. Well, I'm sorry, this game like it has the most generic name that I'll never remember. Except you, rem- you will one day you will remember it, and that'll be that. So, anyways, they have a very quick update. They're about to do another build, so they're just kind of letting the community know about what they're working on. And um, one of the major things that they're working on is that they're revamping the star map or as they call it, the star map activities. So they're fine-tuning, you know, the I guess the stars and animations and, like, various effects. They have uh, the zoom and the pan feature apparently are in. And one of the things that they did finish is that they finished the colony events, like the event generations. When you colonize, there'll be different unique things happening. So they got that down. And another thing that they have changed is the system view. So it's, I suppose, I haven't seen it. Oliver is the one who's um, 
in their beta, so I'll have to ask him about this. Maybe next time they have a major update, we'll have him on the show so he can talk about it. But um, basically, they're saying that the system views has a more realistic look to it now, where all the planets are orbiting the sun versus whatever they had before. They're also working on the music. So... You know, it's it's good stuff. It's it's good. I again, I have not seen it, so I cannot say what the improvements are like. And uh, definitely, I I'm pretty certain that I will invite Oliver over to join us next time we are talking about Interstellar Space Genesis. See, I remember the name. I'm okay with the name. I've seen much worse names, so I don't know. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, why there's you... plenty worse out there. It's it's not a bad name. It's just not a very interesting name. Oh, okay. It's certainly not a bad name. Yeah. You know, okay. It's, it's I not... think you have. I think you need to make that clear because somebody who listens might be like, "What's he got against this game?" And I, I mean, based on what's been happening in the space forex genre, this one might really be good. Yeah, I think I think so. it'll be a good game. I don't have anything against the game. Just... So just call it ISG. ISG. For sure. Yeah, yeah. That might even be better. Yeah. There you go. ISG. So all right, moving on to the next game. We are, at the time of recording, we are less than a week away, I believe, from the release of Warhammer 40k Gladius Relics of War. Now, there's a mouthful for you. There you go. So I'll talk about this more later because I've actually played it some, so I can share my experience. But until then, this past week, actually on July 4th, they did a preview for the Necrons, Necrons. And they were discussing, like in the past week, we talked about the Space Marines and Astro Militarum, otherwise known as the Imperial Guard. And this week, they are they revealed the Necrons. And my guess is next week, early on, they're going to reveal the Orcs. So, yes, it's, it's very, very cool. These The Necrons are very, very hardy units. They are nigh unkillable. And if you are going to be facing them, you had better be ready. They are very, they're fun. They're fun units. They each from any, okay, you know what? I'll save this until the games we're playing because I got a couple of things I want to add, but, you know, I couldn't really add it unless I was discussing my specific playthrough. Having said that, we're going to have a link in the notes to this. So if you don't know where to find this information, click on the notes, you'll find it there. And now in another part of terrestrial space gaming, we had a, a short little dev diary from... Age of Wonders Planetfall. And in this one, they're ta- it's called the Creator Engine. And it's they don't, there's not much here that they're going to reveal at this point, not yet at least. But one of the f- one of the first thing they did is they upgraded it to 64 bits. So as, as an example, Brad Wardell, the CEO and the lead program for Galaxy 3, is always talking about 64 bits. All of the games, 64 bits, 64 bits. And people are like, why? We don't get it. It's just a waste. Well, I think he it's not that he's on to something. He's definitely, in this case, leading the pack. But I think more and more developers are going to switch to 64-bit architecture because otherwise they're running into... Uh, RAM limits. So even right. if you have 16 gigs or 24 or 32 or whatever you have, 64, whatever you have in your computer, on a 32-bit architecture, your your limits are set at something like three gigabytes of RAM. So it doesn't matter how much you have. It's only utilizing three gigabytes. On 64 with multi-core, you can have a whole bunch of stuff going on at once. Hopefully, your computer has some good cooling because it's going to run hot. And hopefully, the code is good and optimized. Otherwise, it's going to, you know 
peg out all your processors. But you know, all that aside, six, they're switching to 64 bits to allow the game to utilize more resources and play better. Another thing that they're talking about is they're talking about the environments. Now, when I look at this, so again, we'll have a link in the notes so you can see what we're talking about. But when I look at the graphics they released, it's three different terrains with the same structure on it. And this immediately makes me think of civilizations beyond Earth Rising Tide. Now, having spoken to one of the lead devs for it privately on Steam, I was asking him what kind of influence the, the you know, Firaxis's Civilization Beyond Earth had on it. And he's like, interestingly enough, not a lot, but when they when you look at the two games side by side, you can see a lot of similarities. So I think it's more about being in the same state of mind, you know, like having the same ideas, and then when they're being expressed, when they're being realized, having similar results. So it's not like a parallel evolution, but it almost looks like it. And then another thing that they're talking about is like uh, they're showing like a battle map. For the two games, like from Age of Wonders 3 and Planetfall, and Planetfall just looks sharper, everything is more detailed, everything's looking better. And then they also have a dwarf from Age of Wonders 3, and then a space dwarf. So yeah, definitely the Planetfall <laughs> one looks good, but right. the hips look crazy on this guy. If you see the image, the hips are like, what's going on down there? And I think I saw a similar comment from one of the community members. So... I, I hope that gets addressed because I don't know that dude looks like a like a mech almost. But anyways, so yeah, so most of the stuff in this dev journal, their dev diary, they're talking about like hardware stuff. So you know, full anti-aliasing support, soft shadows, DirectX, things like that. So that's that's that stuff. Now, one of the few things that's different, and this is another interesting thing in. Age of Wonders 3, every unit had an appearance. And all these appearances, like like the way, it, like the almost like the thumbnail of the unit or how you saw it when you moused over it. And, and all of that stuff had to be handmade for each unit with every upgrade. So that is a lot of work that had to go into that. With Planetfall, they're, they're changing things up. So they're streamlining the process, not in a sense like, simplifying it so you don't have as many options but in the sense that they are making it procedurally generated meaning that they can take these changes that they make that are like fitting on top of the unit versus having to draw individual units so i have a feeling that it's going to save a lot on memory so that's that's an efficiency thing and that's pretty cool but that's for the most part all that this dev diary had to offer and i'm very excited for this game incredibly excited yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly going to be one of the best games, or at least it has the potential to be one of the best games released. Uh, 2019. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say within the last, well, certainly this year, because there's not much on the horizon for this year. Well, we, and we I don't... think last year, for me, was a bit of a disappointment in games as well. So I was going to say within like the last three years, so last year, this year, next year, I think it has the potential to be the best. Yeah, yeah, there's always potential. There's always potential, but once it's out, only then can we really tell what the game really has to present, you know? Mm -hmm. So let's move on to Aggressor's Ancient Rome. Uh, this week, the dev diary focused on three different things, government, happiness, and influence. So the government system in Aggressor's Ancient Rome reminds me a lot of the Civ games. You're going to have an array of different governments, 
Each one will have its pluses and minuses, and you'll choose whichever one best supports your goal. But at the same time, when you switch governments, you could have to deal with some unrest. And also, this game is throwing just maybe another small wrinkle into it where different um, ethnic peoples in the game will have preferences for different types of government. So if you choose a government type that is different from their preferences, you will have more unhappiness to deal with. So let's talk about unhappiness. Um, happiness is, you know, I mean, it's not that different from any other game that, that has the mechanic, right? You know, if, you, if your people are employed and safe and uh, healthy and well-fed, then they're going to be happy. And if they're not any of those things, they're going to be very unhappy. But also this game is including a migration mechanic. So if people in your realm are unhappy, they will leave for other nations that are nearby. And you'll have uh, an outflow of population, which uh, will cause problems. You, you won't have people to farm your fields. You won't have a population to become part of your military. Uh, things like that. So there could be real negative consequences. It doesn't touch on this, but I also thought, well, what about inflows? What what if you're, you're running your empire really well, but the empires around you are not run well, and you have a massive influx of migration? How will that affect happiness? And that wasn't really uh, discussed in this dev journal. Like, well, what is there an overcrowding mechanic? Is there um, a problem where you might be able to shuffle people from one part of your empire to another through some type of uh, government program, that sort of thing. It does talk about giving uh, various cities within your empire grants to encourage population growth and that sort of thing, but it didn't really talk about immigration into your country, just emigration out of it. So I thought that was well, interesting. Well, you have this mechanic of sorts in three games right now. You have a much more elaborate version of this in Stellaris. Now, I don't know how this will work compared to Stellaris, but you have you have migration, large types of migration in and out of your empire. You can control uh, what kind of migration you allow, who has right to migrate, and things like that. You also have a mechanism for happiness based on governmental representation. Now, I don't know if this is the case in Stellaris, I mean, it's sort of kind of there, but not really. But it's definitely the case in Endless Space 2, where you have different heroes. There's a, there, like, I think Endless Space 2 has the most developed political system in any 4X game out right yeah, now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you have all these heroes that you hire throughout your, um, you know, throughout your playtime. And then these heroes, uh, based on their in like their party affiliation and whatever, you know, based on their ethics or ethics equivalent, they lead parties and you have all kinds of stuff like that happening. And then you also have like happiness and uh, city flipping as a mechanism in civilization six. So I, it feels like they're taking the, the developers are taking some of the ideas from these three games and kind of adapting it to a, I guess a more realistic representation, at least possibly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up city flipping because that's kind of what influence the third part of the uh, dev diary is kind of about. So you can spread your influence around to uh, 
I don't know, pressure nearby cities to perhaps back you or that sort of thing. Influence is a currency that can be spent in uh, diplomacy. So, um, you know, your chances of being successful in in various actions, uh, such as like absorbing other cities or or signing treaties and that sort of thing, are going to require your influence mechanic. I guess similar to Endless Space 2 again there. Or and then any, and then and, those legends. Yeah, actually. I was about to say that. So uh, yeah, you know, um, it's kind of interesting. This game has a lot of cause and effect in it that I'll be interested to see if the programming is solid enough to make sure it happens on a consistent and understandable basis. But if it does, I, I think Aggressor's Ancient Rome has has uh, a lot of good potential there. A lot of really good ideas and. Just to confuse everybody, especially if you're skipping around in this podcast, we're going to do another Rome game, and this one is Imperator Rome by uh, Paradox. And the you mentioned the update for Age of Wonders 3 was kind of short. This one's really short, too, especially for a Paradox update. Uh, even the way that the sentences are constructed are very like brief and straightforward. So in this one, it's talking a lot about income. And... There's tax income in this game, uh, Imperator Rome, and it's based primarily on how many slaves are in a city, which is not something that I, I think a lot of games have really ever done. Is you know you you derive the majority of your tax dollars on Stel- slaves. Stellaris kind of does this in some of the ethics. Well, yeah, well, not. Yeah, perhaps. not to this degree, but Stellaris no, does this to it. I mean, to this it. is this is almost exclusively based on slavery, and then you know there are modifiers to it based on trade goods and ministers and you know factions that might be in power. But still, to to base it on slaves rather than production or property or anything like that is is really different. Well, um, I mean, they're trying to stay true to what Rome was like, I think, or to to the, to, a, to some degree based on what we know, you know? Uh, perhaps, yeah. Uh, this one also talks about trade links and how it can be modified by marketplaces. In fact, each of the different provinces can have at least one building, and then each additional 10 population you have will give you another one. So the number of buildings that they have listed here are just four training camps, which gives you additional manpower and experience, a fortress, a marketplace, and then a granary, which is an old strategy game standby, right? So, like, I mean, that's pretty much it for this update. Um, Next week, they say they'll delve into the characters a bit more, which I think will be a more interesting topic, but not much to say about Imperator Rome this week. Well, like I said, I think a lot of people at Paradox are out on their summer break right now. Yeah, yeah. So... So we'll move on to Northgard, uh, and this this week they're they're giving us an update uh, on um, the patch that will be coming with the Clan of the Snake DLC, and they're introducing a new unit for all factions called the Skirmisher, and uh, this is kind of a neat little unit. Um, it it gets a twenty percent bonus to its move speed, which means you can run around and avoid being uh, caught by uh, monsters or enemy units. And also, they can move to provinces you don't control, 
which I think only explorers could do that before. So you can like run these guys around and, and cause problems. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be kind of a pain in the butt, which is good. I'm glad that they're adding more units to Northgard because one of my complaints about Northgard was just a lack of units. It, it didn't have very many. So this is cool, but I'm also at the same time disappointed that all factions get them because my, an even bigger complaint I had of Northgard was that all the factions pretty much played the same. I mean, that's why I like the Clan of the Goat so much, because it gave you a better starting bonus at the beginning of the game than all the other clans. Because by the end of the game, you're pretty much playing it the same way, no matter what clan you are. At least yeah, that's that unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So they're getting new units, which is very cool. And of course, with them comes a new building, which does matter, because you're limited... Um, by the the size of a province you take over according to how many buildings you can build so some you you have very few so if you're going to build this skirmisher camp uh like that that's important like deciding to build this or not build this is a big decision so that's kind of cool you're getting this new unit a new building and uh an important decision to make but at the same time, I would have liked this to have been limited to maybe half the clans get this. Uh, that would support maybe their style of play rather than just giving everybody the same thing and keeping the clans kind of, I don't know, homogenous. So anyway, that's that's coming from Northgard, which uh, has gotten mainly positive reviews. Not not all the, not across the board. Some people have had similar complaints to mine, but still, it's, it's doing all right. And... Uh, you know, I know Oliver really enjoys this game, so I'll be interested to see if uh, he has much to say about this. Absolutely. Now, this week we don't have a new game to introduce because of the Steam Summer Sale. It was just so hard to find something interesting to talk about. But an update to a game we have not talked about in quite a long time called Starfall Tactics. And this is basically um, real-time strategy set in space with with spaceships, cu highly customizable spaceships. So it probably sounds similar to something else we talked about not too long ago. But um, let, let's talk a little bit about this. So one of the things that they're changing up is they're reworking how shields work. So they're giving shields four different directions. So this is something right now to anybody that's playing Battletech is well aware of it, where your mech has, if like one particular set of shield or armor, not shield, but like if your armor is depleted on one side, you want to turn your mech away so that side can't be targeted. Well, this is kind of what's happening here, where if your shields are being battered down to nothingness, you can turn your ship and protect the weak side from, from enemy fire. But this also creates opportunities to arm yourself with certain loadouts to optimize this. Now, another thing they're, they're doing is that there are several factions in the game, and each faction, there are three factions actually, and each faction has unique play style, and that's good because in a lot of RTS games, if you don't do something like that, they're all kind of the samey, and as is the case with Northgard, as you had just said, so it's good. And then um, they're reworking the animations for stars, so they don't just have just the one star. They they feature two different ones, and it looks really, really cool. And they're saying that there's basically 15 different stars. And now what I'm interested to find out is if the rework of the stars also results in some kind of a gameplay mechanic 
So it's not just, okay, it's a graphic, who cares? But it's more about, oh, well, this type of star or this type of space body has a particular effect on combat. So again, it's cool. If you want to know more about it, click on the link. It's definitely worth checking out. (sighs) And with that, let us move on to the next news item. So do you remember, I think it was three weeks ago now, two, three weeks ago, we had talked about the new copyright law that they were opening up for discussing and whatnot. Not discussing, but like trying to pass a law to protect some copyrights, blah, 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 in the EU. And you got very heated about it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember right. that one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the European Union, a, a committee in the European Union Parliament uh, approved a bill for consideration by the full par- parliament that would require, like even us, I guess, like we would be, re- we might be fined or taxed for like the links that we put in our show notes for um, not not just show notes, but in our articles or art in our articles, yeah, all that, or stuff. even art that we use. Because usually, what we do when we post articles, I'd say. 90, 85, 90% of the time, the art is unique, meaning it's art that we capture in-game. Right. Sometimes we use art that is provided to us by the publishers or the PR firms that represent them for, you know, here we're going to release this game. Here's our, you know, our feature list. Here's some art you can use. Other times we grab art from online. We don't monetize it in a sense like we don't take people's private stuff and try to make money on it now if we had advertising on the website or something and then somebody can come to us and say hey you're you're making money off of my work but we're not we're just grabbing something that's out there and if somebody asks us hey where'd you get it we're like oh yeah i found it here i found it there but yeah so basically anytime we use art we'd have to have all kinds of disclaimers and stuff and at some point we'd be like it's oh we can't do this we can't do that we can't do this other thing it's gonna be like okay well we can't do anything i don't I just we we can't you know we can't we don't have to publish articles with no art, uh, so that means of course nobody's going to read anything. So they'll have to be three sentences or shorter. But yeah, anyways. So what happened this week? So this week there was a vote, and the vote was sh- the vote was positive in a sense that this discussion was shelved, but it was not defeated. That's what a lot of people don't realize. This this thing that they're trying to do is still in effect. What what they're trying to do is still well, not in effect. Let's not use no 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 not in effect. Let me paraphrase. It's still on the table. What they did is they pushed it back to give the lawmakers a chance to look into this because a lot of them didn't even know about it. They're like, "What is this? No, I don't I don't even know what this is." And I'm voting no on principle because what is this? I'm not going to vote yes on something like this. So another vote is actually coming for this in a couple of months. So this has not been resolved, but it'll be interesting to see what happens if this actually gets approved. Wow, this can change the face of the internet. Well, for Europe, it'll change it for Europe. It'll change it. It'll change it for us too, because a lot of companies that do business in Europe are from the U.S. So same thing, like with the GDPR. A lot of companies that I I don't. Well, big companies, big companies, but small companies—that's who gets hurt most by this. Yeah, small companies, and then just regular people just trying to use the internet to tell a joke on Twitter or something or, or like me- that. using or, memes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. So, you know, this reminds me a lot, Nate, of um, internet neutrality. Net neutrality. <laughs> you know how it was. It was yeah. brought up for consideration and mm-hmm. then defeated and the internet celebrated. And, and where then, are uh, we now? Where are we yeah. now? 
it's gone it's and they're gone. starting i'm starting so, to see effects i'm actually seeing effects on bandwidth from certain providers and like when you ask people they're like no that's not what it's about and it's like that's exactly what it's about why didn't somebody tell us and like everybody was screaming about it i didn't yeah. hear anything yeah oh, so you know. um you know the the thing that rubs me wrong again like i i did the la- like i talked about the last time was th- this is mainly driven by the music industry right which is just a filthy vile industry to begin yeah. with um, right and the original you know, trolls, the, the original yeah. internet trolls the, are trying to force something down our throat and and being smug about it. Yeah. It, and it, it doesn't help when like the, the people who are the loudest are the people who have made the most money off the music industry. Right, right. And I just like like, you know, I'm seeing Paul McCartney. Yeah. associated with this. And I I'm can't like, stand him. Really, really, dude, like uh, some dude. Uh, making a video with a clip of one of your Beatles songs or, or uh, you know, uh, what was it, Wings he was a part of or whatever. Um, I mean, that that's that's coming down to hurt you. Now, if they were sticking up for, like, all the small-time bands who are having uh, music pirated or, or who are getting hurt, you know, like like, you know, the people that haven't made it, but they're not. They're really not talking about, hey, you know, this is making it difficult for new bands to to find a following or that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. I don't think they could really make that case because yeah. if it's a small band trying to generate a following, oh, they'll somebody make the- using their music on YouTube or, or something like that. Just uh, give them exposure. It get, yeah, it kind of helps. So, uh, you know, so again, uh, I don't, trust power ever to not protect power right. I, th- I think this will come back and the the repercussions for europe especially they just like <laughs> reinforcing old money and uh making sure that it's more difficult for new and dynamic businesses and creative people to get yeah. their start so anything they can do to to squash that uh, they're they're gonna take a crack at doing it Yep. So uh, we'll keep monitoring that, guys, and mm-hmm. keep you updated on it. Yeah. Uh, because this this would affect uh, prote- it could potentially affect Exploraminate somehow. We're not real sure, uh, but you know potentially it could. So anyway, we're also going to talk ab- about uh, Steam. Steam's been up to something. It kind of shifty again, kind of related to this uh, this uh, the legislation from Europe. So why don't you talk about that for a little bit, Nate? Sure. So do you remember a while back, one of our rants was about Steam shutting down Steam Spy Yes. for the protection of the consumers, for the protection of the players, because they don't want to, you know, they don't want our private information out there. You right. remember that, right? Yeah, to comply with the uh, new European rules yeah, on privacy. Right, right, right. Because obviously that's the only reason they would have done that. For sure. Right. I mean, this is valid. <laughs> We're being know, they, sarcastic. Yeah. In case you weren't sure. So, um... This past uh, this past week, PC Gamer posted an article about the top games on Steam, like something like the the best selling games on Steam, ba- as a result of the summer sale and things like that. And in the past, we could have verified some of this information using stuff like Steam Spy or Steam Charts or things like that to see how games perform. Now we can't. We just kind of have to take Steam's word for it. So, or Valve's word for it. Let's not, Steam is just a platform, Valve's word for it. So that's kind of, that's janky. I, I don't, I don't trust Valve. Having said that, 
during this this last couple of weeks, somebody came up with a way to approximate, in most cases, how many people were playing games and how long they were playing them based on their achievements, Steam achievements. Because Steam had locked down, you know, game libraries and hours played, so you can't see that anymore by default. But the achievements were still open because, you know, they're trying to show off because, you know, the whole tr- marketplace for the trading cards and things like that, you know, it's 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 dirty. But guess what Steam Valve did this past week? Oh, they I shut that down yeah. too because... Uh, I don't know, protecting us from somebody or something? No, it's the same thing with Steam Spy. They they don't want this information out there. They want to be... Uh, again, I understand them. I get that part. But once it's out there, don't lie about it. Don't be double-faced. They don't want to curate their marketplace. Oh, we're going to let everybody on. It's not our job to curate. You people figure it out. So then they create the curator system. So we... The websites like Explorinate that have a presence on Steam, we can curate games and they can basically, you know, work off of our hard labor, get paid from that. They shut down green lights so they can charge everybody 100 bucks. 100 bucks and you get on Steam. So we're going to make money either way. Yeah, except now games that should be selling because they're really good are not getting exposure. Nobody knows about them. So, you know, they're, they're moving away from Valve to to uh, Nintendo for the Switch. There's a lot of indie, game, indie studios that are moving over there. And that kind of sucks for this platform because, you know, they're going to be like, well, w- nobody knows we exist anyways. Might as well go somewhere to a place that's curated, to a place that appreciates us. So here's Valve being shady again. Here's Valve being dirty. And I'm, I don't know. <laughs> one of the one of the cool things that came out of this was mm-hmm. Steam Spy was able to generate a an estimated owners list again from uh-huh. this new method before Valve shut it down. Okay, and it was it generated a spreadsheet mm-hmm. for all the games. I was able okay. to get a hold of a copy of oh. that that spreadsheet, and I was looking through it. You know, looking through all the uh, 4X games, and I got to search for them by name because. Okay. All the games are listed according to their estimated owners, and there's there's not there's no tags or anything, so it's not right. like you could search for just strategy games or forex uh-huh. games or role playing right, games right, like, right, like right, you right. could on Steam Spy's website. Right. So I was looking through, and for the most part, the new system that used achievements to estimate owners lined up with the information that we had before. Okay. The most interesting thing I found in in just looking through this spreadsheet, and again, it's not the easiest thing to look through, right? Um, was that Stellaris was just a few thousand copies away from cat from catching Europa Universalis four on Steam? Whoa! Yeah, that's something because Europa Universalis has been out for like what five years now. Yeah, with you know uh, piles of DLC. Mm-hmm. And uh, an extremely dedicated fan base. Like mm-hmm. EU4 has a great fan base. Mm-hmm. But Stellaris, mm-hmm. you know, in these estimates, and again, it's estimated there's margin for error and you can't take it as, you know, gospel fact. Right. But the fact is, re- regardless of how accurate it is, it, it's showing that they're close to each other. Mm. And, you know, that, that tells me a lot of what must be going through... Uh, Paradox's mind is here they are they made a game that's really outside of what they normally do in mm-hmm. Stellaris mm-hmm. and it is catching 
one of their marquee titles in right. Europa Universalis Four, and you know, I I think that kind of tells us why like Stellaris Two Point wasn't mm-hmm. Stellaris Two because right. they had a good thing going with Stellaris sales, uh, sales velocity was still ticking up because it, it's just it's just still coming on strong. It yep. hasn't slowed down. And why release a sequel that would put that sales velocity at risk? Because you never know if a sequel is going to sell as well as the original. You just don't. Absolutely. Oftentimes it does. Oftentimes it does, but not always. So why right. take that risk? Why right. why take that risk? And, and instead, you know, we'll just do what we always do, which is radically change the game and then patch it up later. Well, it's I look at it differently too. They've been doing this with Crusader Kings two. They've been doing this with Europa Universalis four, with with it, and now they're doing it with Hearts of Iron. And I actually hope they do this with BattleTech. To be honest with you, but anyways, what is it that they're doing? They release a game and they support it for four, five, six years. You know, so Stellaris has a lot of life in it, and you know that's that's really good because that's actually a good segue to go into the next into the next news item, which is we wrapped up the poll for the last two months, and this is how would you, as in the person who's, you know, answering this poll, rate Stellaris. So what's so that lines up exactly because you have so with and this the idea for this was this I made this poll after Stellaris 2.0. And you know, with all the teeth gnashing that went on and all the people that were very angry, some of us explominate staff and you know, some of the key members in the group that have been there since day one are very vocal about being unhappy with the changes that, you know, went down in 2.0. And here's what's interesting. So in this poll, I'm going to go over the results, and that lines up with what you just said. So 15% of the people would give the game an exemplary. 38% of the people would give the game a recommended. So at this point, we're re- we're already at 52%, 53% of the people. 23% of the people would give it a consider. So, you know, that's that's a decent score, I think. A consider is not a bad score. A consider is like, yeah, maybe, maybe not really have to think about it. And then only 14% of the people would give it a beware. So I'm assuming that this is probably some of the more hardcore players that want the older features. And only 10% of the people are giving the, the game uh, an avoid. So, so it's safe to say that three-quarters of the people liked 2.0 or maybe not like maybe that's maybe that stuff half the people like 2.0 a quarter of the people were like yeah it's not bad we don't hate it it's not the best but let's see what happens and only a quarter of the people were like nah i'm not happy with it so the game is continuing to evolve the game is continuing to grow and like again outside of only a couple of people that i know I'm assuming most people that play Paradox games know that Paradox has been doing this thing for the past five, six, seven, five to seven years where they release a game and through continued uh, uh, support, expansions, DLC, free content releases, the game changes, the game evolves, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, you know, but it's constantly changing, constantly growing. And anybody that buys a Paradox title that doesn't know this, you know, I'm sorry, but you kind of have to do a little bit of research, especially nowadays. If a game has 40, 50 pieces of DLC, you have to know what you're getting into because it's not going to be a cheap experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So, and, and in that vein, we have a new poll up. 
And this one is also based on a comment that was made in the Stellaris thread talking about the changes. And this one is, what is the one feature that draws you to Stellaris? So it's new. It's only been up for a couple of days. I think it has at this point like 17, 18 votes so far. Some people look at it and more people vote because I, I try to make the choices interesting and not redundant. So we'll kind of have to wait and see how that plays out. And with that, let's discuss the Steam Summer Sale. So, did you buy anything on this past sale? Uh, no, no, I no? didn't. I kind of regret not buying uh, some of the DLC for Offworld Trading Company when it was mm. on sale. Mm. But no, man, I'm I'm really happy with my library. There's there's nothing really out there that's it's got me interested. What about you? Huh. So I bought a couple of games that have been on my watch list. So I bought Polaris Sector with the Lumens DLC. It was a pretty good discount, and I picked it up. I'm, I might not get to play it for a good long while, but I wanted to support the developer, and I wanted to show them some love, so I picked it up. I picked up the original Divinity game. Now, quick question for you. Have you claimed your Divinity 2 <laughs> no, key? Okay, listen, listen, Troy. Claim it tomorrow and give it to me, all right? You owe it to me now. For me having to remind you, I think for the past, what, six months, nine oh, months? maybe longer, man. I backed that Kickstarter forever ago. Yeah, go get your key, man. Keep it for yourself. Play it. It's I hear nothing but good things about it. You, that should totally, like, you you kick, you back, you kick, kick-started it. You backed it. Get your key, man. What are you waiting for? <laughs> I don't know. It's sad. It's sad. Anyways. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that. Yeah, send me an email reminder or something. Okay. I'll, yeah, right. Like you answer those. Text emails. I'll, I'll have to call you. So I picked up also Ultimate General Civil War. Now, this game is not in my wheelhouse on a regular basis. Like, it's not a typical game you'll find there. But, you know, sometimes you got to try something a little different. And it was on a discount, and I've, I've been keeping an eye on it for a while now. So I picked it up. And then, now this this will surprise you. I picked up some DLC for Darkest Dungeon. Cool. Now, I, I own the game. It is a roguelike. I despise roguelikes, but the little bit I played from Darkest Dungeon, I enjoyed myself. So I've been keeping an eye on the DLC, and when it hits the right price point, I pick it up because the day that I fired up to really play it, I'll have everything I want to have. I picked up one bit of DLC for Armello because... It's actually a game that I really, really enjoyed, and it's about to hit 2.0. So I don't know if that means Armello 2 or Armello 2.0 in the same way that Stellaris 2.0 is with major changes. We'll kind of have to see. But they've been doing a lot, and I haven't played this in maybe a year, so I, I probably should fire it up and see where it's at. And then this, I have a feeling, is going to surprise you. I picked up Bayonetta. What was the game? Bayonetta. Bayonetta? That's, yes. That's, you don't normally play games like that. Exactly. Well, I don't play games like that on the PC, but I played that type of game on my PS3 when I gamed oh. on it years ago. Okay. And actually, I didn't know. You know what? I take it back. I didn't even play Bayonetta on the PS3. I think I played it on the Wii. Okay. And now mm -hmm. it's been ported to the PC. So slowly, I've been rebuilding some of my libraries from from those games, you know, like from from some of the other platforms that I use. So, for example, let me tell you some of the games I have in that. Let me see. Where is that? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, it's on another – it's on it's on my other computer. I have it uh, set up like that. But I have I have a bunch of games like that. Like I th – what's in there? Oh, man. I, you know what? Next – I'll prep it for next time. Something to talk about next time. But, yeah, so um, – 
Oh, no, I think there it is. Hold on, I found it. Yes, there it is. So I have games like Darksiders 1, 2, Kingdoms of Amalur, The Reckoning, Okami, Prototype 1 and 2, Valkyrie Chronicles. So funny thing is, some of these games are some of my favorite games I've ever played. Like Kingdoms of Amalur, that's one of the games that I've, that's I think one of two games that I 100%ed on my PS3. Okami is by far probably top five game I've ever played. It was just, I don't know what it was. It just caught me at the right time. Valkyria Chronicles is amazing. The prototype games, the infamous games, I really enjoyed them. So, you know, there's more to me than just 4X and uh, tactical strategy games. There's there's more, and Bejeweled. There's more to me than just that. <laughs> right, Bejeweled. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Yeah. No so, doubt. anyways, right. what have you been playing? Well, uh, like I said, I was visiting family for most of this week, not unlike yourself. Uh, so, like, I didn't have too much time to play much of anything, but I did get in some World of Tanks Blitz. Um, they're doing a 4th of July celebration thing, so I'm trying to grind out a free tank. Um, what about you? What did you get to play? Uh, I played some Battletech, obviously. I mean, Battletech has replaced XCOM 2 for now, most likely. Phoenix Point is going to replace Battletech in the near future. There's a backer build, too. I backed the game at a pretty high level. So I got access to that. I, I might play it this weekend. If not, I'll definitely try to fire it up next week. And uh, Battletech, as I said before, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I, I got to be like only a couple of missions away, one or two missions from beating the game. I'm just grinding it out a little bit. I want some better mechs because I saw that la I actually had to abandon that last mission. So, yeah, I was, like, not prepared. So, um, yeah, just just that. And then, finally, so I got a key for Gladius from the, from Slytherin. And they're like, Nate, you got to check it out. Please check it out. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. I mean, the original keys that I got, I passed off to our guys for, for the review and for the content that Dallin's been putting up. By the way, Dallin has put up a whole bunch of uh, Let's Try so far, I think he has the Space Marines, he has Imperial Guard, he has the Necrons, and then Orcs also just went up. So all four of the main factions. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. So I fired it up, started with the Space Marines, because obviously, you know, Space Marines, my favorite. And yeah, I, I like it. It's, how, how do I put it? It doesn't have the depth that some games do, because it's a war game. So it's, it's the same thing as looking at Age of Wonders 3. Age of Wonders 3 is not Civ. Age of Wonders 3 is not Warlock 2 or Endless Legend. But Age of Wonders 3 is Age of Wonders 3. Well, Gladius is kind of like that. It has some it has, a more, it has a more focused design. Oh, does it ever. It's really like you don't have decisions that you throw away. Like you click and turn just to see what happens. Every turn you have to be doing something and that's a good thing in a 4x game where every turn matters is a good thing every faction plays differently so I, i've only played with the space marine so far i have a, maybe an hour in it at the time of recording but by the time that this goes up i'll probably have another hour or two in it and i'll try maybe the orcs or the necrons or the imperial guard astro militarum but anyways each faction plays differently the neutrals are not pushovers you don't just send your space marines and like ah, i'll just wipe the map with them no you won't be careful <laughs> support them build expand space marines are a one city 
faction. So you will only have your original city, your citadel. It's just that's it. That's all you're going to have, your fortress. So expand smartly, research correctly, build the right things. You know, it's it's good. I like the way how combat works. Like when your unit is taking damage, you end up dealing out less damage because you have less members in your unit, you know? In, in some games, that's not the case. Like, whether you have one member or four members, you deal full damage. Here, no. As, as your unit gets whittled down, so does your ability to deal damage and mm-hmm. to take damage. So, yeah, it's 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 good. I I haven't messed with the quests yet. I have the main quest just started, but I'm, I'm too busy fighting off the neutrals. And, I mean, this is very similar to how Alpha Centauri was. This is similar to how uh, Beyond Earth was. This is similar to how... Um, Proxy Studios' previous game was, you know? Pandora. Yep, yep, exactly like that. So I I feel good. Like, I, I'm enjoying myself. Now, is this game a 100-hour game, 200-hour game, 300-hour game? I don't know. Too soon to tell. Definitely, I can see putting 30, 40, maybe 50 hours into it. No problem there. Is there enough differentiation between the factions? I think so. But the question is, if you beat the game once or twice with a faction, is there more to it? And and that's, you know, you can't really tell these things until you've played a game enough. But I mean, I have the one thing is it's a little dark, so it would be nice if it wasn't as dark. But again, this is Warhammer. So a game being dark is not a big deal. It's it's a dark place. But like the animations are very smooth, the units move quickly, the turn times are quick. I haven't had any weird slowdowns or crashes or hangups. Granted, I'm still in the beginning of the game, but I've had a dozen units on the field at any given time between me and the neutrals, and nothing seems to be slowed down. The AIs not dumb. If it takes damage, it doesn't just sit there taking damage. It'll move out to heal. It'll back itself up with similar units. So. You know, we'll we'll see. It, it's good. I, I'm I'm liking it. But awesome. that's that's it. I I haven't played much of anything else. I haven't. I just came back from vacation. I was on vacation. The last thing I wanted to do is play all day. You know, visiting family and friends. You're out. You're hanging out. I'm being the chauffeur for my kids, running them from one part of the city to another. You know how that is. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, before we close this episode up, is there anything you want to say to the listeners? As usual, I want to say a big thank you to our Patreon patrons through their support on patreon um a quick apology sorry that i've not been around much on patreon lately just the last six seven months have been insane for me but things are starting to kind of hit hit the ground and i'm no longer falling i'm able to keep up so things have mellowed out things are equal equalizing the equilibrium is returning so i promise in the next week or two i will have something for our patrons so if you want to know what we're talking about you're gonna to have to support us now we're not asking for a lot sure if you want to give us a lot hey we'll take it thank you but even you know a dollar or two gets you into that exclusive club so <laughs> you know anyways uh i got some stuff that we had talked about i think january or, or even last december so i have some information i'll share with our patrons and you know Again, thank you. Hopefully some of the patrons that have left us in the last six months here can give us another chance, come back, support us. Some of the guys on the team could use some better equipment, and I would like to take the money and buy them the better equipment. So now I just kind of have to save up after expenses and whatnot, you know. All right. Very cool. 
Uh, we just like to thank everybody who listened to our podcast this week. We really enjoyed having you. We hope you have a great week. This has been Troy and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.